0: Hi, I'd like to welcome our listeners to the next in our series of JNAS podcasts. This is Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. Uh, at the outset, this podcast is supported by Rapid Medical, the maker of the Komenichi Aneurysm Embolization Assist Device. The Komenichi is the only temporary coiling assist device that does not require parent vessel occlusion during coiling procedures or the need for long-term antiplatelet medication for permanent stenting. The Komenichi device is available in Europe and was recently cleared for marketing by the FDA. Please see their website for more details. I am pleased to welcome Mahesh Jayaraman and Ryan McTaggart. Uh, in our next uh, JNIS podcast, uh, they will be speaking today and discussing their manuscript field triage for endovascular stroke therapy, a population-based comparison. This will appear in the March issue of the JNAS and currently is on the JNAS website. Uh, Mahesh and Ryan are from the Department of Diagnostic Imaging, Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Um, I'd like to welcome both of you guys and uh, thank you as well for your many contributions to the JNIS.
1: Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us.
0: So, Mahesh, uh, I wanted to start with you. If you could uh, summarize uh, briefly the impetus and results of your study, as well as discuss uh, some of the methods, Um, specifically, if you could mention this severity-based field triage algorithm, as well as the matched pairs modeling. But at the outset, if you could just give a uh, a brief uh, summary of your results in your manuscript.
1: Sure. Thank you again. It's a pleasure to present our work. We have a unique situation here at our Level 1 Comprehensive Stroke Center in Providence, Rhode Island, in that we are geographically closest to about 1 million patients in Rhode Island and about 500,000 people in nearby Massachusetts. In Rhode Island, we started doing a severity-based triage for suspected ELVO patients. And so patients who are picked up by EMS who have a field Los Angeles motor scale of four or five, and at the time of this publication were within 30 minutes of the comprehensive stroke center, were instructed to be taken by EMS to that CSC even if there was a closer primary stroke center. In contradistinction in Massachusetts, patients have to go to the nearest primary center regardless of field severity. So what this gave us was what we thought a really unique opportunity to examine these two paradigms, almost similar to a cluster-type trial, where one group of patients is triaged in the field and the other is taken to the closest hospital first. What we then looked at was what were the times to treatment from the time that EMS left the scene to the start of alteplase for those patients who received that as well as the time of arterial puncture for patients who were receiving thrombectomy another unique aspect of our study was that we looked at all patients who came in with favorable imaging at the time of the initial presentation certainly there are series that have compared transfer patients versus direct to uh, thrombectomy center patients. However, in many of those series, patients whose infarcts progressed due to prolonged transfers were excluded. Conversely, we included all patients with favorable imaging. Now, certainly looking at it this way is not the same as adjusting or matching. And so in order to get a better handle on that, we decided to perform a matched pairs analysis. And for that, we matched patients based on the time to the CSC and based on field severity. We felt that field severity may impact EMS's decision to do that. And that allowed us to obtain uh, matched pairs for that analysis.
0: Can you clarify that in your specific state primary stroke center's Uh, typically do not perform mechanical thrombolysis because i know in other states such as in arizona um, primary stroke centers often are endovascular capable
2: yes so in in rhode island we do not have any primary stroke centers that uh, perform endovascular therapy so um, that's another uh, feature of this uh, geopolitical uh, situation here that uh, enables us to do this sort of research Mesh did a very uh, eloquent uh, job of describing the study. Um, what we found when we examined those two different groups, um, you know, is that there are very clear differences in time to intravenous thrombolysis and, and time to groin puncture uh, for both, for all patients uh, and for those patients uh, in the uh, matched pairs group. Um, and he can probably uh, describe that a little more.
0: Yeah. um, Ryan, I was wondering a a bit about that. Can you discuss how you think the time metrics, why the time metrics specifically would be better in a comprehensive stroke center versus a primary stroke center? Uh, And It it doesn't seem like it makes an incredible amount of sense to me that just um, starting an alteplase infusion uh, would be done much quicker at at a comprehensive stroke center.
2: Well actually there's a precedent for that um, in that uh, there are some groups that have looked at door to needle times uh, for high volume centers versus medium sized centers versus low volume centers um, and there is a, the shortest door to needle times are seen um, at high volume centers um, you know meaning centers that have uh, more than 50 IV tPA cases per year and uh, they those high-volume centers are about 22 minutes faster uh, and 28 minutes faster than uh, medium volume and low volume centers respectively but the the real value gained here the real value added is the the time to groin puncture that um, is gained when the patients come directly to uh, the endovascular center, and by bypassing those um, primary stroke centers in the field, um, groin puncture will happen about an hour earlier. Um, and we, and that was the case for for both uh, the analysis for all patients and for the uh, matched pairs analysis.
1: And I just want to add one other thing to that, and that is that delay or theoretical delay of intravenous alteplase has been uh, touted as a reason to be careful about bypassing closer centers. But what we have to do is, as Ryan said, we have to be cognizant of the fact that large, high-volume centers are going to be more efficient at administering all to place. And the door-to-needle time, the median door-to-needle time for the PSCs in our series was 53 minutes, which is actually better than what to get with the guidelines database would suggest is the median for all hospitals. So even though the door-to-needle times are faster at the CSC than the PSC, these PSCs are actually doing a reasonable job. So I think that um, that's something that even further strengthens the argument that field triage to a more distant center, uh, if that is a high-volume CSC, will not uh, necessarily delay place.
2: One other wrinkle on that, Felipe, um, is that Mahesh and I did a tremendous amount of work with outreach at all of these primary stroke centers to try and improve their efficiency. So in this study, we see fairly dramatic differences, um, you know, differences in door-to-needle time, differences... Uh, and great improvement in the onset to puncture time. And that's in the setting of all of this outreach to improve efficiency, establish an elbow protocol um, at these hospitals. And um, as Mahesh mentioned, um, you know, our best available data looking at door to needle times and door in door out um, at these outside facilities is about, you know, 55 minutes and, and about 100 minutes. And uh, the numbers we see in our region are shorter than that. And we're still seeing um, improvement in outcomes when patients uh, bypass to the comprehensive stroke center.
0: Yeah, so that really is the bottom line because what you guys are examining is the very best case scenario, likely nationally. And even in that setting, there is still this statistical difference in quality of care and improvement of outcomes at comprehensive stroke centers. So really? I think that's a, that's a very powerful um, message. Both of you briefly mentioned in the discussion the, the potential cost savings of direct transport on a national basis. Specifically, you discussed the potential of a $1,059 per minute savings. Can you briefly discuss how this figure was derived?
2: Well, first of all, I have to say it's not our own. Um, this data is really comes from uh, Wolfgang Coutts and, and Maya Goyle in Canada, where they examined the Hermes uh, data dataset. Um, you know, one of, you know, Mahesh and I have a passion to sort of improve access, but also, uh, we have, we've had a focus on the speed and quality of reperfusion, such as with our captive paper, which was uh, published in, in JNIS. And I bring up the reperfusion because the cost analysis done by Wolfgang and Mayank on their Mies data set showed that For every 1% increase in complete reperfusion as defined as TIKI2C3, we save the healthcare system about $17,000, and for every 10 minutes faster, uh, we get patients um, to the cath lab and and get these vessels open. Um, We save the healthcare system uh, $10,000. So, um, endovascular therapy is very, what we call, economically dominant for any healthcare system. And... This uh, this paper, which was actually just published in Stroke, is going to be really very important uh, in making the arguments we need to make to legislators, policymakers, that this is the right thing, or changing our systems of care is, is the right thing for patients and the healthcare system. Yeah,
0: I congratulate both of you for the work you've done in your state. It's really um, impressive to see the improvements and 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 just the quality of care that that's being delivered in Rhode Island. Um, guys uh, and I'll, I'll Mahesh I'll, I'll, I'll throw this at you if you could discuss the bypass threshold, specifically your study was based on an absolute transport port time um, to the CSC of less than 30 minutes. You allude into your in your paper that this could rise as high as 56 minutes. Could you discuss uh, a bit how this was calculated?
1: Sure, so um, back in 2015 when we developed the field triage protocol for Rhode Island, we chose 30 minutes because all of the EMS agencies are used to a 30 minute threshold for other time sensitive diagnoses such as STEMI and trauma. So they knew pretty much whether they were or were not within 30 minutes from the CSC because it also happened to be the level one trauma center. So it was chosen out of convenience as opposed to out of data. Um, So that explains how that minute figure was calculated. When we actually looked at the data and we plotted time to CSC and time to uh, treatment, and this was in figure four, the interaction in the matched pairs, what we noticed is that the curves actually don't cross for much closer to 56 minutes, as you mentioned. And so even though... uh, you may be at 35 or 40 minutes from the CSC, there was still a benefit to going directly to the CSC rather than stopping at a closer PSC. Um, As a result of this and some advocacy work that Ryan has done, the Ambulance Advisory Board in Rhode Island has now removed the 30-minute threshold for transfer to CSC for patients with suspected large vessel occlusion.
0: Ryan, I was curious if you could discuss a bit, and we, we talked about this earlier, and it's it's a, a hot topic now, and that's field triage. If you could discuss a bit uh, how in your state, and, and specifically in this study, um, field triage was assessed, and what, what systems are you guys currently employing now?
2: Uh, that's a great question. You know, it's sort of uh, for the student of this, or for someone who's sort of Getting interested in all this, I think it's important to sort of separate the data that's out there and, and what we've done. And um, there's been a lot of modeling data on field triage and there's real world data. And then MASH and I are delighted to have provided, you know, some good, uh, rigorous uh, real world data, but it's not a randomized control trial. But with regard to the modeling data, Uh, the first models that were developed were really for patients with known elbow. And for patients that can achieve, you know, quality reperfusion, and they define it as TIKI2B, it was beneficial for known elbow patients to go to the endovascular center, even if they're 90 minutes away over a primary stroke center. Um, But that's for known elbow. When you introduce diagnostic uncertainty in in the field for EMS professionals, then it gets a little more murky. Um, Now, if you look at real-world data, and there's uh, papers from Jessalyn Holodinsky and Noreen Kamal, and most recently Ludwig Schlem um, from Germany, um, unconditional mothership transport um, is the rule for the current door-to-needle times and door-in, door-out times, we see at primary stroke centers in urban and rural settings. So with current door-to-needle times of 55 minutes and door-in, door-out times of 102 minutes, the unconditional mothership approach to getting patients with suspected elbow um, is the rule. And the the Germans sort of used the race threshold of greater than or equal to five, um, and then Jessalyn and Noreen sort of modeled some other scores. But back to our field triage, you know, we introduced the the LAM score. Um, As Mahesh said um, earlier, we use a LAM score threshold of 4 and 5 for suspected elbow uh, and use that uh, uh, as the the threshold by which we'll bring patients to the only endovascular treatment center in our region.
0: Um, Ryan, you alluded to this, and, and Mahesh, maybe you can pick this up. Um, but it, you discussed uh, briefly that you felt that a randomized trial comparing the results of um, CSCs versus PSC transfers may be logistically different and used the words because of the fragmented nature of our healthcare system. Can you elaborate a bit on what you mean by the fragmented nature of our healthcare system and, and perhaps how an alternative trial could be uh, conducted?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, what I mean by fragmented is we don't have a single payer entity or a single healthcare delivery entity across all of the hospitals, EMS, and uh, patients throughout our country. So If you take, for example, the race trial, which is ongoing in Catalonia and Spain, they were able to get regional buy-in from all hospitals and all EMS agencies to truly randomize patients in the field. Now, I think it would be incredibly difficult in the United States to get multiple healthcare systems to collaborate and agree to randomize where patients go. This is different from something like the FASTmag trial, which was a randomized pre-hospital trial, but it was medications administered in the field, and the hospitals did not have to fear about losing out on patients. Now, I think that, especially with the current economic climate in healthcare in the United States, that to get multiple healthcare systems some for-profit, some not-for-profit, and some public-type healthcare systems, to all agree to triage patients in a randomized fashion in the field would be exceedingly difficult, and that such a trial would take such a long time. That's why we feel that our sort of uh, contemporaneous cohort of two different triage paradigms um, is probably the best type of data you can get in the US. We're not comparing a historical cohort. We We really do have two contemporaneous models, one of field triage and one of closest hospital first.
2: If I can just add to that, I think another layer, um, and by far that's the most important one, but another layer is that, you know, endovascular therapy has really, you know, changed uh, the stroke landscape. I mean, stroke is sort of now a surgical disease. These patients really need to get to an endovascular stroke center. And I think... um, you know the the way we've certified, or or the geopolitics of stroke hospital certification in the past, is now sort of antiquated, and I think that we all sort of have to take a look in the mirror and and and, and say, look, does it make sense to have so many hospitals stroke certified in a certain? you know, urban geography. And for example, in Rhode Island, we have uh, 10 primary stroke centers certified within uh, 20 miles of our Joint Commission Comprehensive Stroke Center. So there's fragmentation by organization, but I think another obstacle that sort of uh, paralyzes patients figuratively and literally is that we're over-accrediting uh, stroke centers. Um, and it's it's a complicated landscape for EMS to navigate.
0: No, I completely agree, uh, and I think one of the, the hot button issues, as we all know, is um, access to mechanical thrombolysis for patients that are in rural or underserved areas. Um, that's not necessarily the case in your state, and you know, having that many primary stroke centers really does, I think, I think uh, potentially dilute the level uh, of care. Um, but yeah, certainly, uh, it is a contentious issue in terms of. Uh, Providing this kind of therapy to, to patients in underserved areas. Do you guys have any any thoughts on that and how that debate is going?
1: Yeah, I think that um, you know we had talked about this at uh, at SNIS and also with other societies and. I think that the concept of sort of an intermediate center, a center that is not able to perform, say, uh, endovascular or open, you know, microsurgical aneurysm repair, but yet is able to perhaps care for uh, thrombectomy patients, um, is a reasonable option in certain rural areas. Um, However, I think the biggest concern is the minute that we open sort of that Pandora's box to that intermediate center, that those centers open up across the street from high volume comprehensive stroke centers that have the full spectrum of care. So as Ryan said, there's uh, a lot of stroke centers in a lot of urban areas. If we look at the United States, um, while it's true that rural access is important, what we may end up doing is in the quest to provide rural coverage and access to the 10 to 15% of patients that are more than an hour or two away from this care, we may end up harming the care for the other 85% by, you know, instead of just over-accrediting primary stroke centers, now we may end up over-accrediting primary stroke centers and thrombectomy-capable stroke centers at the expense of centralizing expertise.
0: Yeah, it, it, this is such a, a critical issue and it will be fascinating to see how this uh, evolves over time. Well, I wanted to thank both of you again for participating in this podcast and congratulate you on this manuscript entitled Field Triage for Endovascular Stroke Therapy, a population based comparison. This manuscript will appear in the March print issue of the JNIS and is currently available on the JNIS website. I'd like to thank again Mahesh Jayaraman and Ryan McTaggart for their involvement today. Thank you guys. Thank you.
2: Our pleasure. Thanks for having us.